You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast with your host, Jonathan Robinson-Lees. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast, where we chat with Angus Brand. Angus has built an impressive resume as a basketball player, yet the journey to this point has not been conventional. From the moment he first started playing basketball alongside schoolmates in Wagga Wagga, Angus has been driven purely by his passion for the game, a mindset that has seen him overcome many hurdles over the years. Playing locally in his youth for the Springwood Scorchers and Penrith Panthers, Angus made a name for himself with his athletic play and imposing figure on the court. Missing selection to state representative teams in his youth was not a deterrent for Angus as he has gone on to forge a robust career around the world. Please enjoy the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Angus, welcome to the Passion and Perspective podcast. Thanks, mate. Appreciate you having me on. At the time of recording, Angus, you've just been selected to represent Australia at the World Cup Asian Qualifiers. What does it mean to you to again be picked to represent Australia? Oh, it's massive. You know, um, you, know you never know, you know, when your last time playing for Australia is going to be. And, um, you know, being 32 now and I missed out on the you know, last Olympic squad and, uh, you know, a lot of the qualifying games for the upcoming World Cup were not, you know, in the past have been selected from guys who were playing in the NBL just for, you know, logistic reasons. It makes it easy to get together for camps and training and all the rest of it. So because I'm playing overseas, you know, I, I didn't really think I'd be playing in these games, but um, because of COVID and the, and the situation with uh, difficulty getting out of the country, um, you know, they started looking outside of Australia and, yeah, ultimately picking in this team. So, um, yeah, like I said, it's... um. It's always amazing to play for your country and um, you, know, you never know when it's going to be your last time. So you kind of have to embrace each opportunity and, and um, you know, live it up to its, its fullest. And in 2018, representing the country at the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast, the team went undefeated and went on to win the gold medal as well. At that point, being a part of that squad, do you think you had made it as a basketballer? Um, no, it's, de- it's definitely one of the highlights of, of my career for sure. I don't know if I was thinking after we won that, that, you know, this is it. I've made it as a basketball player, but um, no, it was definitely a highlight. It's something that, you know, I'll look back on, you know, after I finished playing and, you know, with great pride and, um, you know, that, that team was put together, you know, they, they came to us and asked if we wanted to, to go and play those games with a group that we'd gone to the Asia cup with and played a lot of the world cup qualifying games before that, uh, the games came up or they said, you know, do you want to, we're happy to put together a team from our younger sort of up and coming players. And the guys at times said, no, let's go and get a medal. Let's, you know, let's, let's try and play in a Commonwealth Games in Australia. It's an opportunity that doesn't happen a lot because Commonwealth Games rarely has basketball in it. So, yeah, we grabbed the opportunity with two hands and it was an amazing experience. And, um, yeah, like I said, it was it's something that I'll always look back on with fond memories and be, be proud that we went and, you know, won gold on, on our home soil. And Angus, we are in a golden generation of Australian basketball. We've got a strong international presence, as you referenced, with good numbers playing in the NBA in America as well. Why do you believe that's the case, that we've got such a strong contingent of both male and female basketballers at the moment? 
I think it's something that's been sort of building slowly, you know, over the time. And, and obviously basketball's been popular, been very popular in Australia, you know, in the past. When you look, you know, back in the, the mid to late 90s, it was extremely popular, um, you know. And I think, I don't know if it's because a lot of the uh, the sons and daughters of that generation of players are now growing up and, you know, get into adulthood and professionalism and, and uh, you know, now being seen by the public. But I think it's also to do with the fact that, you know, the NBL has had a lot of injection in terms of interest and funds and backing. And it's, you know, come along in terms of quality and strength over the last, you know, five to 10 years has been incredible. And, you know, it took a little bit of a stumble with COVID and whatnot, but, you know, there's no doubt that, you know, it's going to keep building and the quality is only going to get better and better, which is going to increase the interest. And, um, you know, it helps that the viewing for the NBA is better in Australia now. I mean, when I was growing up, it was so hard to watch the NBA when, you know, if you didn't have Fox, so you couldn't watch it essentially. But now with YouTube and, you know, you, uh, Instagram and all the rest of it, you can watch it, you know, NBA and clips and everything as much as you like. So I think it's a combination of a lot of things. And yeah, like I said, a golden age of basketball in Australia. And it's just... It's uh, awesome to be an Australian in this time, still playing during this time, although it does make it bloody difficult to get into the national team for, for World Cups and Olympics when there's, you know, the whole roster's made up of NBA players. And Angus, we were talking before this interview that you're currently having conversations with the squad for the upcoming World Cup qualifiers. How hard is that to come together for a short period of time in the national squad and know that you need to compete at the highest possible level with people from all around the place? Yeah, it's very difficult. And, um, you know, we're playing, we're versing Japan and Chinese Taipei in this window. And, um, you know, neither team is to be taken lightly. In particular, Japan, it's going to be on their home soil. And, you know, they, they're a team that plays together a lot. They know each other's games. They verse each other. You know, most of the guys are from the uh, Japanese local league over here. So they either play with each other or play against each other week in, week out. So, um, you know, we've got 10 guys coming together. The majority of us haven't played together. Um, you know, it's, so, you know, before I jumped on this call, I was, you know, we were in meetings with, with our coach and, you know, we're trying to do a lot of the non you know, on-court stuff to make sure we're rock solid on that. So then when we do get together in camp and we have, you know, a few training sessions, we can just really get to work and, um, you know, get the chemistry right and not have to worry about, you know, doing too much teaching, you know, the expectations we go on to camp, we know what we're doing. All right, let's get on court and do it. You said to me as well, Angus, that you love the speed and the quick decision-making of basketball, that it's a very instinctive sport. Do you find that your game goes to another level when you represent your country? Uh, that's an interesting question. I think for me, I think my personality is like I'm someone that kind of I need to almost taper or settle down my excitement or nerves in any game I'm sort of playing in. So for me, when it's playing for the national team or the stage is bigger, it's almost like all right, I have to kind of keep an even more level keel. So I try not to. You know, I try to I try to just play the game in front of me and play the same way each game um, each time I play. Like I try not to get too wrapped up in, you know, this moment or that. It's more playing the right way every time I step on the court. And um, you know, in sport you you're gonna have good game. You're gonna have good games, you're gonna have bad games, but for me it's more looking back on the game and thinking, okay, did I play the right way? Did I you know, play hard, did I set good screens, did I rebound, did I do all the things that my position, you know, I'm expected to do. 
And, you know, sometimes the stat sheet will, will show that I didn't have a good game, but if I can look on the game and say, okay, yeah, I played hard, I did this, I did that, then, you know, I can say, okay, it was one of those games that just didn't go my way, but I, I played the right way at the end of the day. So, um, you know, it's the same whether I'm playing for Australia or whether I'm playing for my, my club here in, in Japan. Um, you know, I, try, I just try to keep a level keel and just play the right way, play the play the way that I know I can. Because um, if you do anything more than that, you start trying to, I feel, when I've done that in the past, I end up trying to do things that is outside of my skill set or I'll get too wrapped up in the game or the moment and, and you know, you just get, you know, tied up by nerves or tied up by the moment. You reference maintaining a balance there regardless of the game and just having consistent, I guess, mindset for everything. Does that come down to your preparation? Do you have a certain routine on game day that helps you get to that position? Uh, not a super strict routine. Like I, when I get to the court, I kind of generally like to do something similar because obviously there's a there's a limit. You know, I get, usually get to the court two hours before the game and then, you know, there's certain things that I need to do just to be ready, like, you know, tape my ankles and all the rest of it. So, and get some shots up and all that. So I don't like feeling rushed. So when I get to the, get the court, there's definitely a routine. But during the day, probably the biggest thing I try to get in is a nap. But other than that, it's pretty, I'm pretty loose. Um, I try not to have a strict regiment because, again, those things can be changed. And if you have a very strict regiment and you're relying on that, if, you, if that's all of a sudden disrupted and you rely on that strict routine, you know, it can all, you can be thrown off really easily. So... Yeah, so it's trying to, I try not to make it too strict, but I do like to get a nap in just because normally our games start, you know, six, six o'clock, eight o'clock. So, you know, by the time you get to the third and fourth quarter, it could be um, starting to get sort of towards that later evening period. And if you haven't taken a nap, you can start feeling a little, little groggy or sleepy or whatever it may be. So the nap for me is more to try and keep me switched on and alert um, down the stretch in the game. Angus, you grew up in New South Wales, Riverina, before moving to the Blue Mountains in early high school. What was your childhood like? Uh, yeah, it was great. I mean, yeah, I, I, was born in, I was born in Sydney, and then uh, when I was quite young, we moved down to Wagga, uh, just outside of Wagga in Newham Quinty, and, um, yeah, lived on a farm, 100 acres. So as a kid, it's fantastic. You know, we had a couple of motorbikes, so we'd, you know, run around the farm on them. And we, you know, uh, we, had, we ran sheep on the, on the farm. so. You know, during lambing season, we'd have the, you know, the, the lambs that were sick or whatever, we'd bring them into the house and, you know, you got the little, we call it, you know, potty lambs. So as a kid, you, you know, you're looking after lambs and milking them and, you know, running around the farm and, you know, climbing trees, getting up to all sorts of mischief. So that no, was fantastic. And then, um, you know, that's where I started playing basketball down in Wagga as well. You know, just started playing at school because my mates played it at lunchtime. And then, you know, one thing led to another. I said, hey, do you want to come play? play for you know the club team and yeah right why not and then yeah obviously like you said moved back down to the blue mountains in early high school and um not long after that's when i started playing representatives and then it you know sort of really became serious not too long after that but yeah yeah the answer, answer your question much prior it was you know it was really good you know i look back on it with fond memories i think um you know definitely tough times living down on a farm everything during that time made me who i am today i think i'm a lot tougher person for it I think if I'd stayed in Sydney and lived in the suburbs all my life, I'm not sure if I'd had the same personality that I do now. So, How important do you think that is for, for any child growing up? If, if they are able to, just to have the exposure to the great outdoors and that sense of exploration, because I think we see it, like you said there, it helps 
define you as a character. Do you think that's important for any kid growing up? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, my story is my story. I think, you know, um, you know, I think you could, you know, there's plenty of guys out there growing up in the suburbs never stepped foot on a farm and they're tough as nails. I don't think that really makes you tough or this makes you tough. But, you know, for me personally, my belief is, you know, I, I think kids need to be out, kids need to be outside running around and not sitting inside in front of a TV. I mean, that's my own personal belief. But, um, so, I mean, I'm not going to tell anyone how to raise their kids or anything, but yeah. When you were going through high school here in the Blue Mountains, did you have career aspirations? Where did you see yourself, you know, when you, when you finished school? For me, it was really um, a kind of a, as a kid growing up playing basketball, I was sort of, um, I, I was really um, unaware, I guess is the word, or just oblivious to the world of what could what you could achieve by being a basketball player. You know, I just played basketball because I loved it. And for me, it wasn't playing, okay, I need to take this step and then that. And then, you know, 100 steps down the road, I'll be a professional basketball player. And that's what I want to do. It was more just I played because I loved it. I played with my mates, you know, played reps. And then on weekends, go, you know, go find a local court with, uh, you know, a few other guys when we played pickup. And it was just, there was no thought to, to doing it as a career um you know for me in high school i was just like any other high school kid trying to you know do my homework and you know stay stay out of trouble at school as much as i could all the usual stuff high school kids get up to and then you know finish my hsc and you know applied to uni and i got accepted into uni it was, i was basically gonna just you know focus on uni and have basketball as just a side thing and then the under 20s representative trials were coming up and I'd missed out previously for the under 20s and the under 18s. I talked to Jeff Cooper, who was my coach down in Penrith, and I was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to go. Like, you know, I've been accepted to uni and, you know, basketball, I'm not sure what's going to happen for me. And he's, he's the one that twisted my arm. He's like, look, just go down to what's the worst that can happen. So I was like, all right, I'll go. So I went down, had a run around, and um, at the tryout, Damien Cotter, who was the coach for the New South Wales Institute of Sport at the time, was at the tryouts watching. And uh, afterwards came up, approached me and said, you know, I'm the New South Wales Institute of Sport coach and, we, you know, we have scholarships available. We, you know, we train you and, you know, it's a basketball program. So, you know, for me, that, that was the first opportunity that I'd really been given to to train with a high level program. So I jumped right in basically and, and took full advantage of it. And uh, one of my best mates to this day, Reese Murphy, he was the same as me and missed out on rep teams and he got off for the same spot. And so me and he would just train all the time. We'd be blowing up Damien's phone all through the week, you know, let's get a session in, let's get a session in. And so, you know, I'd either drive into the city, or sorry, not drive, catch a train into the city and train and meet Damien and Reese or, Reese and Damien would come out to Penrith and we'd train out there at Cambridge Park or, you know, we'd basically just go wherever Damien wanted us to go and we'd train multiple days a week. We'd go on lift. We'd do, the, you know, we just tried to get as good as we could. And, um, you know, I still missed out on that under-20s team. So, But I got the N-Swiss uh, scholarship, which turned out to be far more valuable anyway. So, and then from that, Damien, uh, you know, basically said, look, I think you got a shot at going to college in America. And... Um, you know, you should go over and play in the, the AAU circuit, which is like the uh, basically 
youth uh, team go and play in the summer and college coaches watch. And then, yeah, from that, the rest is sort of history. I got onto a college team and, yeah, it all all came from uh, Jeff Boober twisting my arm to go to an under-20s tryout when I was basically ready to give up the ghost and, you know, go, go to uni and get my degree and, you know, go get a job. What kind of decision was that for you? Because for a lot of people straight out of school, you, you want to pursue a dream, but there are certain pressures and expectations, as you say, to go to university, to get a job and to some degree settle down. Did you find any pressure from friends, family, school teachers to kind of not take the scholarship and just go down the academic route? Uh, not at all. I think my, that's one thing, you know, my parents have always been amazing with with myself and my brothers is they've never they've never applied pressure to us to do something that they want us to do it's always been you know what are you interested in and you know supported us in what we were, were passionate about and what what we wanted to do so you know when you know they were thrilled that i got into university they were absolutely thrilled you know and they knew that i was interested and keen on the subject that i got into uni for but they also knew i loved basketball and they knew that you know, if you can play sport for a living, that's fantastic. So, and I had the opportunity to go and live in America and explore the world. And, you know, when I ultimately left to go to America, I was 18, turning 19. So, I mean, for me personally, you know, the gap year was still a common thing back then, um, you know, taking a year off uh, between high school and uni, I don't know if it is still now, but um, so there's no, there's no real thought, second thought for me. It was just, yeah, all right, why not go to America, see what happens. If it doesn't work out, I've deferred my degree. I can come back and start next year if it doesn't work out. So, yeah, so there's no pressure from myself. There's no pressure from my parents. They thought it was a fantastic opportunity and they supported me fully. And, um, you know, I'm really lucky to have parents like that. And, yeah, because without it, um, you know, without their support, you know, it would have been a lot harder to go to America when you're 18 and, and be away from home that young, you know, for as long as I've basically been away from home ever since, you know, I've only really spent, you know, a couple of months here and there each year at home or the only, the longest period since then I've been at home was the two years I played for the Kings. And then ever, you know, other than that, I've lived away. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. What was it about Damien? the coach there at New South Wales Institute of Sport, what was it that he imparted onto you that really took your game to the next level? Well, he, he saw me running around. He, he laughs about it because he says I was getting in the way and causing trouble because I didn't know what I was doing. But he, <laughs> but he said he saw a raw, a raw talent in me. And so obviously I'm six foot ten and, um, you know, have a good frame on me. So he saw the... the the physical attributes that I had, but then he also saw some of the raw talent as well. And um, I guess he, he thought he was, would be able to polish me up and sharpen those skills. And, and that's what he did. And it was basically down to just, you know, he taught me how to work hard and, and to, taught me how to push past what I thought my physical barriers were. And, you know, he worked me harder than I had pushed myself up until that point. And, uh, you know, he basically, and, during that time when he was training me, he showed me that I could be a basketball player that could go to America and go to college. And, um, you know, he basically showed me that this was something that I could achieve. And it was up until that point, I was, I didn't, I didn't think I could do that. I didn't even really know about it. this was all this whole, that whole world of college basketball was something so foreign to me that so foreign that I didn't even consider it. 
as an option or, you know, something. Like I said, I just played basketball because I loved it. Did you have a chip on your shoulder, Angus, when you weren't picked in those rep teams, 18s and 20s, stepping off the plane in America? Were you out there to prove people wrong? I don't know if I was ready. To, I don't know if it was something, a chip on my shoulder when I got to America. It was maybe a bit more of a chip on my shoulder when I came back and I was playing against guys that had been picked over me for those teams. Um, but no, when I got to America, like I said, Damien had taught me, you know, how to work properly work, you know, and, and for me back then, it was just whenever I was in a training session, I tried to be the hardest working person in the gym and just absolutely get after it. And, um, you know, I kind of, like I said, the whole college and world and American basketball was so foreign to me that I just went over there and played basketball and play, tried to play as hard as I could and train as hard as I could. And, and it was just opportunities kept coming my way and coming my way. And I just kept the same mentality. And, you know, I think there's a little bit of luck thrown in as well. You know, being playing well at the right time in front of the right people and saying that, you know, I, you know, the preparation that I'd had for, you know, about 12 months leading up to those opportunities was, you know, training the right way so that when the opportunity came, I, you know, I was able to grab it with two hands. But in terms of having a chip on my shoulder, maybe a little one. But like I said, I was just there trying to see what happened. And you went on to attend Oregon State University as a member of their basketball program. How did that become a reality? You went over there for the AAU. You played in front of college coaches. And you, you hear a lot in movies and TV shows that it's the sitting down and the dinner with the coaches and the recruiters and stuff. How did it actually come to fruition for you to end up going to Oregon State University? A lot of a lot of the cliches you see in movies sort of played out, but yeah, went in the AA, the AAU circuit and um, yeah, played well in front of, at the right time in front of the right coaches. And I was fortunate; I had a lot of uh, Division One scholarship offers to some schools that were uh, at you know at the time and still considered much better basketball programs in Oregon State. But the reason I chose Oregon State was because I was still quite raw in terms of my ability. And if I had gone to, you know, say Louisville, who had offered me a scholarship, it might have been a case of sitting on the bench for two or three years before I really even saw significant minutes. But going to a school like Oregon State, they were, you know, rebuilding, as they call it. And um, I knew if I went there, and there was definitely an opportunity to start playing significant minutes early in my time there. And that's what ended up happening. You know, by the, I ended up starting as a freshman, the last two, I think it was two or three games of my freshman year. And, um, you know, I think I started every single game after that. So I was a starting center for Oregon State for, for three years, which might not have been the case at any other program. So uh, that was, you know, a big reason for me going to play at Oregon State. But, um, but yeah, in terms of how the actual offer and process to go there went, it was, uh, yeah, quite surreal. It was, you know, these all of a sudden famous college coaches calling me on my phone and leaving messages and, you know, getting letters every, every day from schools all around the country. And, uh, you know, coaches are flying to Australia to, to meet my parents and, you know, try and twist their arm into convincing me to go to school at a certain place. And, um, you know, I think a lot of, a few of these college coaches flew the 15, 16 hour flight to Australia and all of a sudden realized that my parents had absolutely, you know, they weren't going to be the ones to pressure me into picking a school. Like I said earlier, they were, you know, they were never going to pressure me to go anywhere in particular. They were just going to, you know, ask me the right questions and, 
help me make a decision rather than do anything. So um, I think they flew all the way to Australia to probably realise they could have just called them on the phone. But uh, but no, it was a, it's crazy. Like I said, the whole College America basketball um, system was completely foreign to me. So the whole it was a complete whirlwind the whole recruiting process. And um, I was lucky to have a you know Damien in my corner, you know, as well as some other coaches in America who who were great advisors for me in terms of, um, you know, helping me make the right decision, but also keep a, you know, keep my head on my shoulders and, and uh, be aware that, you know, there's people in that system, you know, that aren't out for your best interest, you know, the college system, you know, it's a dirty system uh, to this day, you know, it's, it's not a clean system and there's definitely people that try and take advantage of, of, uh, of young athletes to, better themselves or, you know, their program, but, you know, and tell them everything they want to hear. But in reality, it's not going to play out that way if they go to their school. So, yeah, this is a pretty crazy time in my life. Did you find your ego inflated at any point there with all the letters coming in, the calls, the flights? Was there a point there where you kind of, where it did get to a little bit and you almost felt yourself becoming a bit of a, a superstar in your own mind? Uh, I think a little bit. But I think I'm very fortunate to have parents who keep me level-headed and keep me pretty grounded. You know, I think I tried to always stay pretty humble. Um, you know, like I said, it was only at that point it was only you know 12 months removed from not being picked for an under 20s team. So it was it was um, you know I'm sure there was a little bit of an ego boost at 18 years old when you're getting all these letters and phone calls and all the rest of it, but. I think that I think at the time it was it wasn't too much because like I said it was only twelve months <laughs> removed from not making a squad in Australia for an under twenties team. So I think there was always that look like you're not as good as these guys are saying you are. And um, you know, like I said, you know, these college coaches, I'll tell you the best player under the sun. They'll tell you the unit, you're the next Michael Jordan if you you know to get you to try and sign with them. So um, luckily, I had coaches and advisors and people telling me like, look, just take everything they say with a grain of salt. It's a good opportunity, but just, you know, keep your head on your shoulders, you know, sit, take everything, you know, with your eyes wide open, basically. And the Oregon State Beavers, Angus, played in the Pac-12 conference, superstar athletes across a number of different sports. What was the single biggest difference you noticed from the basketball you had played previously back in Australia to college ball? Uh, probably the crowds. I think uh, before I got to college, the biggest crowd I'd play, played in front of was maybe about 50 people. And then I remember my first game as a, at Oregon State, I think we had 7,000, 8,000 people. So that was, uh, yeah, I remember that first game, I was absolutely um, shitting myself, for lack of a better word, because of just the crowd and the enormity and the you know, you've got the college band and cheerleaders and the huge stadium and you've got the announcers and the TV cameras and all the rest of it. And all of a sudden it's like, holy crap, this is full on. And less than two years ago, I was playing at Cambridge Park in front of 25 people in the in the Waratah League. So, yeah, that was probably one single biggest difference for sure. Did the game still flow the same for you? whether it's 25 people or 8,000 people, when you're on the court, is it all kind of happening the same for you? Not back then. That, like, you know, that when I talk about 
that approach to games and being the same, whether it's yeah, like in front of 25,000 people or whether it's in front of 25,000 people, that's something I've learned from, you know, my four years in college and then, you know, eight years as a professional, you know, and then also maturing with age as well and figuring out what my personality is. Um, but back then, no, I was still figuring it out. I was, you know, a 19, 20-year-old kid. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what my personality was. Yeah, back then I was looking at other people. Okay, well, how do they, what do they do, you know? Like, how do they prepare for games? Trying to figure out what works for me. And, yeah, like, got it right sometimes, but then got it horribly wrong other times as well. So, yeah, that's yeah, that was something that definitely I learned to, to tune out. And, um, but, yeah, now, especially in the last couple of years with COVID, having, you know, games with no fans, um, probably the thing that I've realised from that experience is that for me, once I st- once the game starts, I really don't even notice whether there's fans or not. Um, probably the biggest thing is, you know, the only thing that really makes a difference if there's a crowd or not for me is how difficult it is to communicate on defence or not with the noise. But, um, yeah, you know, as, as I said, like throughout college and becoming more experienced as a player, um, you know, the crowd just became a non-factor really. And whilst you're at college, Angus, you suffered an ACL injury. What impact did that have on you? Ah, uh, yeah, that was um, yeah. So that was at the start of my senior year, my first senior year. So in America, in the college system, you can do what's called a medical redshirt. So if you get hurt um, before you've played a certain amount of games in a year, you can petition to get that year to get that year back, as it's called. So I tore my ACL, I think, four or five games into my senior year. So um, I was able to petition and get my get a medical red shirt, as they say, which is a you sit out the year without losing a year of eligibility. So, yeah, so I took my fourth year in college with my senior year and I tore my ACL, had surgery, rehabbed that whole year, and then I ended up coming back the next year. So I actually was in college for five years, but only played four of them. But, yeah, the impact the injury had on me was, um, yeah, it was a setback for sure. Um, you know, I was at the time, our team was really pegged to do something, to play well that year. Um, I was a big piece of that puzzle, and then I got hurt. You know, it was frustrating because, you know, for me, it was, all right, this is my last year, time to play well. And then, and then play, and then you know, start playing professionally next year. That was that was the thing, you know. Uh, and then it was like, all right, that's all pushed back another year, and I got to rehab, and I got to make sure, you know. And now it's like there's a big question mark over me because an ACL, so you know, injury isn't, you know, isn't no nothing to sneeze at. So yeah, I had to rehab, and um, you know, thankfully again, I had some great coaches in my corner that. Um, you know, after the dust settled, basically sat me down and and uh, gave me some tough love. You know, said, "Look, it's an injury; it happens, but you need to get back to work. You can't you can't let this injury sideline or derail your your goal to be a professional basketball player." You know, the, the conversation basically went, "I don't want you turning into a fat shit because you got a busted knee." Which was a, which was the best thing that ever happened because you know as soon as I was allowed to get in the pool I was I started swimming three days a week you know with my leg uh, strapped to a floaty just to stay in shape and not you know get overweight and did everything I could in the gym you know 
that I could with, with a, you know, without using my knee. And, um, but yeah, so it meant that I never really took a break. It was just like, all right, got hurt, deal with it. And then it was like back to work probably about three or four weeks later. How have you viewed your career as a basketballer differently with injury, both the ACL and any subsequent injuries between now and then? Have, have you changed your perspective off the back of being injured? Um, I don't think so. I think it's like, I was, it's quite, yeah, I was talking to one of my teammates earlier this week about it. And it's just, I think at least he and I agreed that, you know, athletes, it's sort of, there's a problem you deal with it. What's, what do I do to get past this? What are the steps? All right. All right, get to work. And that's definitely my approach for, you know, just not just basketball and injuries, but, you know, sort of any sort of problem, but injuries in particular, it's like, all right, what's the injury? Okay, tell me what I need to do to get better. Okay. And then it just go and then all right, get down as you know, that's and then that's your job. You're not a basketball player, you know, you you your job for that time is getting back to being healthy and you follow the steps that the physios or the doctors lay out for you. You do and if you do them correctly, you'll be back. So and if you don't do them correctly or you don't do them at all, then you won't be back. And so as a you know, this is my job now. I'm a professional. So when I get hurt now, it's like, all right, you got to just do, that's your job. That's the what you do at hand, you know. So whether it's an ankle sprain and you got to ice and you got to do all these things that are a pain in the ass, you got to get there an hour before practice and say an hour after practice for treatment. That's what you do for the time that it takes to rehab. Uh, because I'll tell you what, and the athlete will tell you it's, it's, far worse it sucks being hurt and sitting on the sideline and doing all the annoying annoying cardio on the bikes and the one-on-one cardio session and strength sessions with the strength coach where you've got to modify and you've got to do these you know all these different things and you're sitting there watching practice it's far worse than actually being out there playing regardless of how hard the session is <laughs> so yeah, to answer your question, it's just for me, it's always been, all right, what's the problem? How do I fix it? All right, get to work. And at the end of college, what options were in front of you from a professional basketball perspective? Yeah, so after college, I uh, yeah, signed with an agent. And then we, uh, not long after college, I uh, got named in the World Cup squad to go to camp. And so... And then I also got an invite to what's called the Portsmouth Invitational, which is, it's like a, it's like a training workout, uh, like week for graduated college players. And it's for professional teams to come and watch, essentially. So the choice was, all right, do I go to that or do I go home and start training for the World Cup uh, camp? And I ultimately chose to go home and train for the World Cup camp and forego Portsmouth purely because um, the phones weren't ringing off the hook from NBA teams to draft me. So it was like, all right, if I go to that, you know, is anyone going to be looking at me anyway? So I went home, started training, went down to Canberra and worked out with um, Andre Lamas for for a couple of weeks um, before the camp. And then, yeah, ultimately went to camp later that that summer um unfortunately missed out but um yeah and then during that time signed with the uh, sydney kings how hard was that to 
turn your back, even though there weren't offers in front of you, but to turn your back on that option, did you, were you sitting there considering what might have been? You know, how, had you gone to the camp instead of heading back to Australia, you know, where your career may have ended up? Yeah, a little bit. Sometimes I wonder maybe did I make the right decision coming home instead of going to Portsmouth and, you know, changing people's minds. But, you know, it's the decision I made at the time. So I can't try and, you know, I can't look back on it and, and regret it. I think I think I've had a good career. Um a lot I've had a very I've lived a very fortunate life playing basketball and get to see the world through it. But um yeah, occasionally I wonder did I make the right choice get not going there. But yeah, who knows? I mean, you, you don't know. I mean, I could have gone there. It could have been a complete waste of time. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. As you said, you uh, joined the Sydney Kings squad in 2014 and your NBL resume in Australia is quite full now. Two-time NBL champion with the Perth Wildcats, NBL Rookie of the Year, what was your experience like playing in Australia's National Basketball League? Um, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was the first two years as a rookie and second year player. I was back in Sydney, back in my hometown, so I was around family and friends again. Uh, which I said, like I said, I hadn't been home in six years after leaving to go to America. So that in itself was amazing. Um, and then, yeah, you're professional. So you, all you're doing is playing basketball and working out for a living and you're getting paid to do it. So, you know, how good is this? <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, unfortunately, the success at the Kings wasn't as good as I, you know, would have liked it to be. So, um, yeah, after the second year there, I had some opportunities to, to go elsewhere in the NBL and Perth was one of them and they'd always been very successful so um and also their assistant coach uh, matt nielsen was someone who you know i'd always looked up to being from the mountains as well and um you know being a guy that had played all over europe played for australia he was the assistant coach who would be going you know and i'd be working with him you know every day um so that opportunity itself was something that i jumped at and uh yeah went over there and yeah, I was fortunate enough to win two championships with them, which was amazing and, and will always be, you know, so, uh, one of the highlights of my career. I look back with amazing memories of those times. You spoke earlier about how the sport of basketball can be very focused on the statistics, you know, how you perform with points, blocks, rebounds, assists. For you, when you factor statistics and championships, how do you define success as a basketball player in your own mind? You can look at it from your own perspective, a selfish perspective of how did I do, did I have points, rebounds, blocks, all the rest of it. What did the stat sheet say about me or personally? Or you can look at the, the score above the box score, which is, you know, did you win or lose? And I think for me, I've always tried to be someone that plays, plays for the team to win. You know, I've always had friends and people close to me tell me I'm, I'm too unselfish. And it's, you know, it's a strength and a weakness at the same time, if that makes sense, you know. Um, you know, sometimes I'm looking to make the play for the other guy more than make the selfish play for myself, which could, you know, make ultimately make the box score for myself look better. But, um, and I think as, as time's gone on with my career, I think I've learned to find the balance between the two and 
you know, take the shots for myself when they're there. Um, and then, you know, obviously pass, pass when it's there, make the unselfish play. So, and, um, uh, yeah, so for, I mean, for me, it's always you success is comes down to how did your team do at the end of the day, basketball is a team sport. If you average 30 points a game, your team ends up coming last in the comp, something wrong. In more recent years, Angus, the decision to leave Australia and pursue your professional basketball career overseas, how hard was that as a call to make? It was it was the single hardest decision I've had to make in my professional basketball career, whether or not to leave Australia. Um, the time I left Australia, you know, me and my wife were extremely settled in Perth. Uh, we just bought a house there. We love Perth as a city. The lifestyle was amazing, but it had always been a, a goal of mine to play overseas, and it's something that I always wanted to do with basketball was to see the world and play in different places and you know experience different cultures. And yeah, won the second championship with the, the Wildcats in three years and had had a really good season. And it was something that it was like, well, I either do it now or I don't do it. So, because I was coming up on a contract extension, so it was, yeah, if I don't do it, I'm going to sign another contract and then it's probably going to be too late to go and do it after that. So, yeah, it was extremely difficult. Um, but looking back now, I think it was the right call to make. Yeah, we've had a great experience. We went to Italy for a year. Um, unfortunately, got shot, caught, uh, cut short by COVID, but, um, you know, our time in Italy was amazing. Probably don't need to explain why it was amazing. <laughs> Italy is Italy. And then, yeah, last year we had the opportunity to come and play in Japan, which neither my wife or I thought we'd ever live in Japan. But since moving here, you know, we love Japan. The culture has been amazing to get to, to see and experience. And, yeah, obviously loved it so much that we came back for a second year. And if we could have it our way, we'll probably be here again next year. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been awesome to be able to play overseas and um, experience so, you know, two very different cultures in, you know, Italian culture in Europe and then come to Japan and, uh, you know, experience experience their culture. And, and I think for us, it gives us a very, you know, it broadens our understanding of the world. And I think we become, I don't know what the word, the, the right word, the right way to say it, but, you know, I guess uh, the more understanding of uh, different people's perspective and way of looking at things and how is basketball as a sport then viewed in japan they love it here it's uh i think their number one sports uh baseball i think and then soccer's not far behind but basketball is creeping up and, and gaining a lot of popularity and the then you know you look at the national team similar to you know you look at the national team as as the measuring board and you know, they've improved in leaps and bounds. And same as Australia, like now they've got, you know, multiple guys in the NBA and, uh, you know, yeah, you can tell that it's growing here and the funding is is growing and the, the league is getting a lot better um, locally. Um, you know, just even even the two years that I've been here, it's both last year and this year, it's improved um, immensely. So it's definitely on the rise here. Angus, how has fatherhood shifted your perspective on basketball on the court? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I um, yeah, had 
my son about just over you know, five weeks today ago. And um, yeah, I think it's made me realize that there's, there's other things out there that are more important than basketball games. So not to say that, you know, winning and losing the games isn't important as that, you know, it's still my job, but I think, uh, you know, I think I've learned to, to maybe get over the, the losses a lot faster since having him, um, since he's been born, I think we've lost two games and I found myself in a, in a better mood a lot faster after coming home and seeing him and, you know, he doesn't care that we've won a loss. So, you know, he doesn't care about the box score. No, nah, it's it's definitely shifted my perspective for sure, and um, it's a it's been an incredible experience so far. And reflecting on your own upbringing, full of sport, outdoors, adventures, farm, animals, and the the lot, what's one thing that you want to impart on your son as he grows up? Yeah, me and my wife are both athletes, so sport I think is something that we will gently encourage <laughs> and uh you know want him to be a part of but you know i think we'll both take cues from our parents and that we'll just support him in whatever he wants to do and just make it you know make sure that he's doing things that he's passionate about and loves doing and you know if that happens to be basketball or soccer you know fantastic you know my, me and my wife would be thrilled but you know if he wants to go and be a a golfer or a volleyball player or he doesn't want to play sport and he wants to be a scientist, we'll, you know, we'll support him fully in that as well. We're not going to, just as long as he's happy and content within himself and doing something that he's passionate about will be, I think, the way we bring him up. Angus, has your career to this point exceeded your expectations, do you feel? I guess so, yeah, because I didn't, I didn't, like I said, you know, I didn't grow up expecting to be a, a professional basketball player i just played it because i loved it and yeah so i think everything i've had has been uh you know i've been extremely lucky to have the career that i've had and i know you know there were guys growing up when i was growing up who i played with who were just as good and a lot of and a, just as good as me and a lot of guys who were a lot better than me so um and never played professionally never played college basketball so i know i've been very fortunate to have this career and you know and then Growing up, on you know, it was never an aspiration to play professionally. It was just sort of something that, um, a sequence of events led to it happening. And um, so, I guess in, in a sense, yeah, my career has exceeded, exceeded my expectations because there weren't really any any expectations to begin with. Can you take the time then to reflect on the journey? Like you said, starting not making the under-18s and under-20s rep teams onto college ball and professional basketball around the world. Is it part of your day-to-day life to, to stop and reflect on those times and the journey to here? Well, I wish I could say I reflected every day on it, but um, no, it, it's definitely something, you know, me and my wife say, you know, sort of pinch, we pinch ourselves, or we say, you know, it's pinch, pinch ourselves moments. And um, not long ago, we um, one of my teammates is an Aussie guy as well, and who I played with in Perth. And you know, him, um, my wife, and I went and got a coffee downtown here in in uh, Takamatsu, and you know, we're just walking down the street. And I think he and my wife, Cameron, which sort of was like, you know, looked at us and was like, "How good is this?" You know, who would have ever thought we would have been getting a coffee, walking down the street in Japan, playing together? Yeah, so it's moments like that more. You know, you just sort of look up. It's sort of like you you lift your head and look around and realize where you are. 
because um, you know sometimes you can just sort of get stuck you know just training working hard trying to trying to win games and um, get that next contract but yeah there's definitely times where I, yeah definitely sit up look around where I am and and yeah definitely pinch myself Angus, do you believe in life that we find or we create ourselves as people in the sense that do you feel the path is just laid out for us and we just live it or that every decision we make in our life shapes where we end up? Uh, no, I think, I think the decisions we make in our life is, is, what, uh, is what influence where we end up. But I think, um, I don't think our path's laid out for us at all. You know, I like, I don't know if you've heard of the, the poem Invictus, but the last two lines of that, there's something that for me stands out, you know, the, I think it's the, the captain of my, my uh, soul, the steward of my destiny or something like that. I can't remember the exact terms, but it's basically, you know, you have to take control of your life with two hands and steer it the way that you want to do it. And, and um, to, to use another cheesy line, you know, if it's, if it's up to, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. So, you know, no one's going to go and do it for me. If I want to, I got to go and work hard and, put my head down and, and like I said, you know, with injury, you know, if you want to get somewhere, you've got to do the steps to get, to get back to playing. Or if you want to be a better shooter, you got to do, you got to get in the gym and work hard and work on shooting to be a better shooter. It's not just going to happen. So yeah, to answer your question, it's, it, life isn't laid out for you. You can, you can influence your, where you end up, but you've got to put in the work and you've got to take the opportunities when they come. And finally, Angus, your career continues to go from strength to strength, as we spoke about selected in the Australian squad again for these World Cup qualifiers. What are your goals for 2022? What are you hoping to achieve this year? Yeah, so if, yeah, for this year, um, yeah, the goal is to try and try and win the competition I'm in right now in Japan. Um, that would mean my team gets uh, elevated to to the first division over here. So. That'd been a great achievement for this club. Uh, we, if we were to do that, we'd definitely exceed the expectations that people had for us going into the season. So I think that would be an awesome goal to achieve, especially since no one pegged us to do it. And then, uh, you know, an unexpected one that's come up is obviously the the World Cup qualifiers. Is is yeah, win win all three games at this upcoming window, and uh, you know, help Australia take a step closer to qualifying for the next World Cup. Angus, thank you so much for sharing your journey on the Passion and Perspective podcast. Wishing you all the best. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast. The Passion and Perspective podcast is made in loving memory of Katie Margaret Lees, who truly lived with passion and perspective.